Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When Jesus was conducting his ministry, he encountered a significant amount of opposition. And most of the opposition that he encountered came from the religious leaders of his time in that area. There were many reasons why they opposed the Lord Jesus. Some of them were concerned about their job security. They were concerned that people would follow him and not follow them. Others were concerned about the judgment of God because people might turn away from what they believed the people should be doing. They were concerned that the people would turn away from the right way of life, the right way of living, and follow this other person And as a result of their disobedience, the living God would then intervene and cause their nation to be destroyed again. There were many reasons why they opposed the Lord Jesus, but what I want you to understand is that there were many opportunities for conflict. Many opportunities. And the Lord Jesus was well known for confronting the religious leaders. He confronted them with regards to what they believed and what they did. He taught things that were different from what they were teaching. There was no question about that. And so people were concerned. Now, towards the end of his ministry, the Lord Jesus then said something very odd. If you read in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. They broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, things like that. He goes on to talk about the Pharisees. But he tells them in verse 3, Therefore all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. Now this is a very... Interesting thing for him to say, because if he has spent the majority of his ministry teaching the people things that are contrary to what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching, then why would he say this now? Why would he say this? Whatever they tell you to do, you do. Well, how can he say that when what they were telling him to do, he wouldn't do? They confronted him many times over the things that he did, For example, he violated the Sabbath law on many occasions according to their beliefs concerning the Sabbath law and what he could do or what he couldn't do. He walked through the grain fields on the Sabbath day, for example. That was considered to be a violation of their laws. He healed people on the Sabbath day when their lives were not in jeopardy on that day. That was considered to be 
a violation of the Sabbath law, according to the scribes and Pharisees. And so if he did not do what they said that he should be doing, then why is he telling his disciples to do what they tell them to do? That is the question. That is a very important question, because if you read through this, it appears that that's what he's saying. Now, I do not believe that that is what he is saying, and that's what this program is about. I'm going to explain to you what I believe he is saying, and the real answer to this question is not going to be found in this English translation. It's not even going to be found in the Greek translation. It's going to be found somewhere else, and I'll explain that to you in just a minute. But before I do, in order to understand the explanation that I'm going to give you, you're going to have to understand the different layers of religious law, of the laws of the scribes and the Pharisees. You're going to have to understand the different layers of law that they lived their lives by because they did live a life of devotion, of sincerity, of commitment to the law of Moses and to other laws in addition to what Moses gave. And so I have to spend some time explaining this, otherwise you're not going to understand my explanation concerning this passage and what he is really saying. So in order to describe this, I'm going to have to start, of course, with the law of Moses. I have to begin there because that is the initial law that God gave to the nation of Israel, the law of Moses. And in the law of Moses, we have a collection of commandments, things that you are to do and things that you are not to do. And if you live according to the commandments that he gave, if you will do that, then he will bless you. But of course, if you do not, then he will curse you. And one of the curses that he gave in the law that he would invoke in the event that the people failed to live in obedience to the commandments that he gave through Moses, one of the curses is slavery, that they would find themselves in captivity, that they would be slaves to other people. You have to remember that the nation of Israel was established When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, he took them out of slavery and brought them into freedom. But there was a condition associated with that, and that was that if they failed to live in obedience to the God who set them free, then he'd send them back into slavery. So this was the incentive that God gave the nation of Israel to live in obedience to the commandments. Now, if we go through the history of Israel, we can find that they did not live in obedience to the commandments that he gave. And so they found themselves eventually in slavery. And the slavery that I would like to refer to in this program is the slavery in Babylon. When the Jews were taken up into Babylon, they were taken to the north. This was around 586 B.C. And they were put into servitude. They were slaves in that nation. And there was no hope whatsoever of them returning, with the exception of the prophecies that were given that they could return under certain circumstances. Now, when they were in Babylon, they finally acknowledged that the reason why they were in captivity was because they sinned. That was a very important acknowledgement that they made, and when they made that acknowledgement, they made a decision, some of them, not all of the Jews who were there, but some of them made the decision that they would now live a life of obedience to the commandments of God, that they would never again violate the commandments of God. They are now going to really commit themselves. They are going to devote themselves. They will do all that God has said. That was a decision that was made. 
Now, of course, we've heard this before, but what was different about this commitment was that the people decided that they would try to establish a lifestyle. They would try to establish a way of life that if they lived this life, if they lived this lifestyle, then they would not come within the boundaries of possibly violating the laws of Moses. So instead of focusing on the laws of Moses, they decided to define a way of life so that if they lived this way, then they would never come within the boundaries of possibly violating any of the laws that God gave through Moses. This was the decision that they made. Now, the people who started schools of thought or religious schools that were focused on this task, the leaders of these schools were considered to be, or they were called, the Sophers. That was the name that they were given or that they assumed, This was a word that was derived from the word for book, referring to the books of Moses, the book of Moses, the Torah. And these schools were established for the purpose of trying to identify or find or derive a lifestyle so that the people would be holy. Now, when they established these schools or these sophers began to try to work on this great project, the sophers made an agreement with one another. This agreement was that they could disagree with each other, but they could not disagree with Moses. For example, when you consider the laws of leprosy, the laws of leprosy are very important because if you come in contact with a leper, then you will become ritually unclean when you touch a leper. So what the Sophers did was they established boundaries through their lifestyle And they did agree that they could disagree with each other concerning these boundaries, but that they would not disagree with the fact that you could never come in contact with or touch a leper. So one school said that you could not come within four cubits of a leper. And another school said that you could not come within 100 cubits of a leper. Now, the reason for this, of course, is to say that as long as you're 100 cubits away from a leper at all times, then you will not come within the boundaries of possibly touching the leper. This is a simple example to show you how they established their lifestyle. Another so fair would say four cubits, and so as long as you don't come within four cubits, if you are five cubits or more, then you're perfectly fine. You're not within the boundaries of possibly coming in contact with a leper. If you're three cubits away, then you are at risk. You are at tremendous risk of becoming ritually unclean and violating the laws of Moses concerning leprosy. So this is how they built their lifestyles. This was the job, the task, the objective of the Sophers. And they agreed that they could disagree with each other. One would say four cubits, another would say a hundred cubits. That would be acceptable, but that they would not disagree with Moses. You definitely would not touch a leper. Now, several hundred years later, after the Jews returned to Israel and rebuilt their society... There was a radical decision made. And what I mean by radical is that there was no real basis for it, no foundation for it. It was just a decision. After several hundred years of these schools of thought trying to derive a lifestyle that would keep the people from sinning, 
from violating the laws of Moses, there was a major decision, and that was that the Sophers never really disagreed with each other. That this wasn't true. That this was a lie. They never disagreed with each other. They were always in complete, full agreement. This was the decision that was made in the religious leadership in Israel at this time. And the way that they justified this decision was by saying that what they really did was they conveyed the laws that Moses gave that he didn't have time to write down, that he could only write down so many, but there were many other laws that he gave, and so these laws were passed orally. There was an oral law that was passed from one person to another, generation after generation, and the Sophers were the people in Babylon at that time who collected all of these laws together and put them within what they called the Mishnah, The Mishnah was the writings, it was the collection of writings that described the different schools of thought concerning how we should live to ensure that we would never come within the boundaries of violating the laws of Moses. And so there's two layers that I have described here. First you have the laws of Moses, then the second layer is the laws of the Sophers that are contained within the Mishnah. So the laws of Moses are contained within the Torah, within the scriptures, and the laws of the Sophers are contained within the Mishnah. And the agreement was between the religious leaders several hundred years later, the agreement was was that these were the oral laws that were finally written down and they don't really disagree with each other. But there are some problems with that. For example, when you consider the laws related to leprosy, How do you reconcile the differences between the sophers? One sophir says four cubits, another sophir says a hundred cubits. How do you reconcile those differences? Well, this one was easy. All they had to do was say that if it is a windy day, then you need to be as far as a hundred cubits. But if it's not a windy day, then four cubits is acceptable. And this reconciliation the work that they did in order to try and reconcile all the differences between the Sophers became what is known as the Gomorrah. So the Gomorrah was another collection of writings that reconciled the differences of the Sophers that were documented in the Mishnah that described the lifestyles that people could live in order to ensure that they never violate the laws that were given through Moses contained within the Torah. Now, these laws certainly didn't deal with all aspects of life. They didn't cover everything. There were many other aspects of life that people were confronted with all the time, and there needed to be a decision made concerning these aspects of life. For example, how do you put on your shoes? I mean, there must be a way to put on your shoes, to ensure that you never violate the laws of Moses. Well, the Sophers had nothing to say about how do you put on your shoes, and the Gomorrah could say nothing about putting on your shoes because the Gomorrah was written in order to try and reconcile the differences between the Sophers. And so how do we invoke new laws? How do we derive or identify new laws in order to add to this lifestyle that we are deriving by assimilating all of the Sophers together into a single lifestyle, which was what became Pharisaical Judaism, 
How do we add new laws in addition to the ones that we have in order to deal with the issues of life that were never dealt with before? Well, this became known as the Takanot. The Takanot were the laws that certain Pharisees who were given this responsibility, certain Pharisees were given the responsibility of deriving new laws. These Pharisees were referred to as the lawyers. You can find them in the scriptures in a few places. These Pharisees were given the responsibility to identify the new laws that we needed to have in order to deal with the issues of life that were never dealt with before. When it came to putting on your shoes, for example, they needed to establish the right way, the holy way, the proper way in order to put on your shoes. And so how would they do that? Well, this one was easy. All they did was find a rabbi who they respected and they observed him to see how he put on his shoes. First he put on the right shoe, then he put on the left shoe, then he tied the left shoe, and then he tied the right shoe. And this became the standard, this became the rule, the law, that every Pharisee has lived by ever since. And it has been 2,000 years, over 2,000 years now, since this law was established concerning how you put on your shoes. I'm just giving you a simple example. There are, of course, many other laws that are more important than just putting on your shoes, but I just want to refer to one just in order to explain to you what the Takanot is. Now, when they would come up with these new laws, they would have to issue these new laws. Where would they do that? How would they do that? Well, they would go to the synagogue, and in some of the synagogues, you would find a seat, a special seat, normally made out of stone, and they would sit in this seat, and this was called Moses' seat, and they would then deliver the new law that the people needed to observe in order to ensure that they never come within the boundaries of violating the laws of Moses. That was the purpose of these special seats in some of the synagogues. Now, there was, of course, precedence for this. When the Lord gave the laws to Moses and he brought them to the people, then he had to judge cases. He had to judge circumstances, and the job of judging situations was a big job, and so he established other people to help him deal with the conflicts that the Israelites were experiencing to make sure that people would do what they needed to do in order to resolve these conflicts, and so there were elders established in order to help Moses deal with the issues of life. That was the precedence, so that we would now have seats that people would sit in And they would judge matters, they would judge cases, and they would also issue new laws as would be necessary in order to resolve the issues of life that were not necessarily well defined in the laws of Moses. And so these seats were important and people used these seats. And these seats are what he was referring to in Matthew chapter 23. And so again, in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Well, they do that in order to resolve conflicts, resolve disputes between people, but also to issue new laws. And in this case, he's talking about the new laws that they give. In verse 3, Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Now, this brings up the original question that I raised when I started this program, and that is, do we do everything that they say? 
Are we to do that? According to what he has said, yes, we should do not only what Moses has said, we should do what the Sophers have said, we should do what the Pharisees and the rabbis have said, according to the Gomorrah, and we should also do what the lawyers, the Pharisees, are going to tell us to do according to their Takanot, that we should do all four, Moses, the Mishnah, the Gomorrah, and the Takanot. But this is not really what he said. You have probably heard on occasion somebody say something that sounds like this. In the original language, it says something a little different than the translation that we have. And that is the situation here. That in the original language, it does say something different. That this is a poor translation. This happens on occasion. Most of the time, it's not a big deal. But in this case, I believe it is a big deal. Now, I cannot refer to the Greek in this case, because if you look at the Greek, you will find that, sure enough, that's exactly what it says, that this is a reasonable translation of the Greek. What I'm going to refer to is the language that Matthew originally wrote this gospel in, and it wasn't Greek. Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew, and we know that because we have historical evidence for this. Consider Papias who lived between 60 and 130 A.D., he said that Matthew collected the oracles, literally the words in the Hebrew language, and each interpreted them as best he could. He was referring to the people who translated what Matthew wrote in Hebrew into Greek so that people could understand what Matthew had to say. We have historical evidence that gives us enough information to be able to say that Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew. But you know, in addition to that, it's very important to understand the Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture. Under no circumstances would you ever speak to the Jews about the living God in any other language besides Hebrew. That would be totally unacceptable. For Matthew to write his gospel in Greek and then give it to the Jews. And if you look at his gospel, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that he was intentionally writing to the Jewish people. If he was to do that, under no circumstances would he write in Greek. That would be totally unacceptable. So I personally believe that there's plenty of evidence to show that it was originally written in Hebrew, and it just so happens that I do have a copy of one of the manuscripts that have survived to this day that I believe has a lot of legitimacy to it that suggests that it is a reasonable copy that has survived of Matthew's gospel in Hebrew. And in this copy, in this manuscript that I have, it does say something different. It says in verse 3, Therefore all that he tells you to do, do and observe, but do not do according to their takanot. That's what it says. In other words, there's a minor error in the pronoun. Instead of saying them or they, therefore all that they tell you to do, it doesn't say that. It says, therefore, all that he, referring to Moses. This is a very easy mistake to make. It's a very easy thing to miss. It's a very simple error. It's easy to do, and so I don't consider it to be significant. But he used the word takanot in his gospel, and that word did not survive the translation into Greek, which is very reasonable. I can understand how easy that can be to miss that, 
to misunderstand the significance of that word being one of the four different types of laws, one of the four different types of things that the Pharisees would try to impose on people. But Jesus says, don't worry about any of those things, just concern yourself with the laws of Moses. That's what he says here. And that, of course, is consistent with his ministry. His ministry was about teaching people to live in obedience to the laws of Moses so that they would eventually see that they could not live according to the laws of Moses and so they would have no hope outside of the mercy and the forgiveness of God, which is what he provided at the end of his ministry to invoke the new covenant that we now live in today. So again, beginning in Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that he tells you to do would be a more accurate translation from what Matthew originally wrote. What he tells you to do, do and observe, but do not do according to their takanot. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. Now, another way to look at this between verses 3 and 4 is that the Pharisees may have created new laws and imposed new laws on the people described as the Takanot, but that didn't mean that they themselves observed those laws. They may not have observed the additional Takanot that they established. But one thing is for certain, and that is that they would not have removed those laws from the people. They would not take those laws away. In other words, they would not move them with so much as a finger. That's what I believe he intended to say in verse 4, was that they may impose the laws on others, and they may or may not do them themselves, but one thing would be for certain, and that would be that they would not take those laws away from the people. They would only add laws, never take laws away, unless, of course, they would replace an existing law with another one. That, of course, would be an exception, but that is something for another subject. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,